People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon inviting you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. And it's all about cooking today because a charming book has just arrived, which I've seen called A Sprig of Rosemary, A Journey of Culinary Memories and Recipes, written by Rosemary Saunders. And it embodies a collection of her recipes, including those she's developed with her school's Cuisine Marie Rose and the Provencal Kitchen Rosemary, such as Salad Niquoise, Nougat Ice Cream and Jonah's Gingers. It's a remarkable book, even for someone like me who is not a cook or a chef. But the nice thing about it as well is it's filled with anecdotes. And Rosemary was born in Britain. She comes from a family of restaurateurs and learnt at an early age about the importance of fresh ingredients, being thrifty, and the value of people and money. And she attended hotel and catering school in Birmingham, followed by teaching qualification while working in London. And then, stepping off in South Africa in the early 1970s on her way to Australia, the lure of the Cape kept her here and she worked at five-star hotels such as the Mount Nelson, Beacon Island and Plettenberg Bay before joining Woolworths, head office's catering manageress and then later became a food selector. But then she left the corporate world to start her family and her love of food prompted her to start giving cookery lessons from her home kitchen. And it says here an unexpected phone call launched her into a catering career got to find out about all these things. Rosemary, welcome. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. And congratulations on a lovely book. As I said, I'm not a, a chef, but I found myself intrigued, mostly by your stories. So what caused you to write it? What was the sort of spark that you thought, I'm going to put us all together? Well, the motivation actually started about five years ago. <laughs> right. But then... During lockdown, we decided to remain in Cape Town because we'd become swallows. And uh, March was the lockdown, that's mm -hmm. right. And come August, I thought, well, I've got time now. We're not going anywhere. I'm going to sit and look at my life and put together my recipes and stories behind each recipe. I've done books before, um, but 20 years ago. And so this was particularly for my grandchildren. And then as I chatted to Nick and the family, they said, but mom, why don't you just publish the book as well? Because it's so much fun hearing what happens behind the scenes at functions and disasters that happen and good things that happen. And people would be interested. I, so I said, OK. So I sat away at my computer and typed away and laughed and edited. And that's how it all came about. And the photographs in it, Rosemary, because they're lovely photographs for each recipe. Well... I'm very proud of myself because I took all the photographs. No, you're joking. I'm serious. On my iPhone, what? in my kitchen. 
Good grief. I took all the photographs and, you know, cropped them and so on. And uh, I took photographs of photographs that I had in my albums from my 25 years of catering. And that's how the photographs arrived, off my phone. And I made each dish again during the lockdown. And, of course, the family that live around Cape Town were thrilled to bits because I'd say, there's going to be dinner on your doorstep. <laughs> so, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yes, which was, you know, a great appreciation to them. And, of course, one's best critics, you know, that they mm-hmm. say, you know, Mom, you need a bit more of this or you need, you know. And I said, but I've just followed my recipe. <laughs> So each mm. of these recipes mm. in this book, you've kind of given another run through to make sure it works. Hence this whole dinner thing for your family. Yes, I think one has to, because when you're doing something every day, it's second nature. Mm. And in years gone by, when I was teaching uh, twice or three times a week and catering extensively, you know, people would stop me in the supermarket and say, oh, Rosemary, I'm just making this recipe. And you'd sort of think back and say, oh, yes. And you you could recall it immediately. Mm. But if you ask me now, tell me about nougat ice cream that you've mentioned in your introduction, I would have to pause and think about it very carefully because I haven't made it for ages. Right. You know. okay. Okay. <laughs> and was the book self-published or did you go through a publisher? Uh, no, I financed and self-published. Print Matters um, helped with putting it all together with the design and so on. But I designed the cover uh-huh. as well. Um, and um, I was guided through by um, Robin uh, stewart Clark, who helped with all of that. And, of course, you know, Beryl was marvellous. <laughs> You're talking about Beryl Eichenberger, yes. whom we know so well on Fine Music Radio. Yes, quite. Well, we worked together at Woolworths in the 70s. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> well, know. she was the one that, Beryl was the one that suggested I invite you in, so there you are. Oh, she's Why fabulous. Why did you tell me about the title, A Sprig of Rosemary? I suppose it could have been anything, but A Sprig of Rosemary somehow has a number of kind of possible meanings. Well, Rosemary, mm. as you know, with a Y, is for remembrance. And when I was working with Lisa Templeton, who really kick-started me with the book because she's um, a writer, and we were discussing the book, and she said, well, you know, Sprig of Rosemary. And I said, yes, that's it, a Sprig of Rosemary, because... A sprig has also got all these leaves coming out, mm. you, you know, coming as, and you think, well, that's actually a lovely fragrant herb, and the book is really a memory, as you see, as I say, mm. so a memoir. So it links up with Rose Rosemary for remembrance, but of course, I'm Rose. Marie. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lovely title. It certainly is the sort of book that you want to pick up and look at if you see it in a shop. Now, we're going to have your first piece of music, Rose Marie, (laughs) um, which I see is Carl Jenkins um, from The Armed Man, the Benedictus. This is hugely popular, of course, but uh, what is your reason for choosing it? Well, Nick is a singer, and we've been to Krakow and heard Benedictus, uh, the armed man. He sang the armed man many times and he introduced me to Carl Jenkins. And I met up with my cousins in Krakow and 
I heard the most moving Benedictus that we've ever heard. At one time we went to Berlin to hear the two cellists, you know, those two chaps that mm. play the cello That's and so right. on. But the Benedictus that we heard in Krakow by this young cellist was absolutely breathtaking and you just felt as though you were on a totally different planet. In fact, the whole of that armed man mass, yes, mass for peace it that's is, right, yes, right. gosh, I've remembered that, <laughs> um, is I think a very moving and reflective piece.
music by Carl Jenkins from the Armed Man and Mass for Peace, the Benedictus, the first choice of my guest this week on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio, Rosemary Saunders. And we're talking about her latest book, her recipe book with beautiful pictures called A Sprig of Rosemary. Just let's now do a little bit about your background. I said at the beginning you were born in Birmingham and you came from a family of restaurateurs, so food and cooking you kind of were born into in a manner of speaking yes quite gosh one goes back i mean to the second world war where my grandfather was actually a conscientious objector and had a restaurant in birmingham during the second world war and so did my mother and of course they learned about being thrifty and as i mentioned and once that the war you know came to an end in 45 my mother bought a house out in the countryside between streetly and aldridge in staffordshire and that's where we were brought up and as i mention in my book about the stories raspberries will always remain very special to me because i was sent with a calendar up the garden to pick uh, uh, raspberries off the raspberry canes of course so there was a strong influence of good food and my mother used to bake bread twice a week on a tuesday and a friday so one learned how to knead properly and do all these very basic principled skills for good cooking and including it says here the importance of fresh ingredients yes so you know when when i was teaching had my cookery school and people would say oh from the audience can we freeze that I would say, you know, fresh is best. Yes, um, of course, of course. Because there's something about, you know, fresh spinach. When you buy fresh spinach, you know, that lovely baby spinach, and put it in, I put it in the microwave, actually, for four minutes, and it's delicious. To frozen spinach, for instance, that's an example. But I just feel that the freshness of vegetables and fruits is is really terribly important. And... You know, in France and in markets, open markets, you see people smelling the yes, yes. The, the fruit, picking Touching up. Touching them, squeezing yes, them. And, that, and, yes, and then you go into the supermarket and everything is so over-packaged today, <laughs> which we won't go into all of that, of course, but it always says, don't squeeze the fruits. Or, mm. But how do you know what the ripeness is? So I have a real feeling of fresh is best and being spontaneous what are you going to have for dinner tonight let's think oh well we'll put that together and we'll put the next thing together and produce something of great flavor a little orange or lemon zest just makes such a difference Mm -hmm. so that to me is important that we establish the skills of preparation of fresh ingredients and I mentioned earlier to you in our pre-recording discussion uh, that where we live we have a lovely herb garden the joy of going down and picking fresh herbs and some snip chives over dinner and some chopped parsley that you've picked half an hour ago makes such a difference do you feel strongly that people are in fact now buying too many things from supermarkets wrapped in plastic they're not getting their hands dirty is what i want to say by feeling things and taking the time to choose fresh ingredients because everyone's in such a rush 
I think supermarkets create a fantastic service. Of course they do. Mm. And there are sections where the vegetables and fruit are not wrapped. So I would encourage people to go for the non-packaged because then we're also helping the environment. Everything is so overpackaged. <laughs> like that phrase, overpackaged, yes. And you certainly had your experience, didn't you, when you were in the corporate world being with a big supermarket chain and having what did you actually do? Um, I started at Woolworths actually as catering manageress for three years uh, in the catering department where they had uh, three levels of dining rooms, they used to call them, and in the old Plain Street Corporation Street head office before the new one was built. And and then one day... um, I was asked to become a food selector and I said, well, I don't know anything about retail. So I said, don't, don't worry. You know, this was in the 70s. You know, we'll put you on a training uh, scheme uh, through the store. So I said, OK, well, there we go. And so I was, in those days, I was in charge of bakery and pies. And bakery was cakes, breads and, you know, the whole range. So it was very, very exciting and early days mm-hmm. and one of the main focuses was actually um gosh you may making me go right back in time <laughs> Good, <now. I'm> <laughs> was it was the christmas range and i said well why are we just doing a genoa cake and fruit mince pies with um you know pastry on the top why can't we have a, a strudel on the top or a star on the top or and so it started with this an, an iced cake for Christmas. So, so it, a lot of the year was uh, my time was spent um, extending a range, which is lovely to go and see all you know. Of course, it is what they have today. It was pioneer days, mm-hmm. you know, like in it, the seventies. Pioneer some, days, indeed. Yes, and the opportunity was amazing. I was sent to Marks and Spencers for, I was going overseas, and so I had two weeks at Marks and Spencers head office. So it was just expands one, and mm. which was super. And I think it stood me in very good stead, because those days was prompted the phone call. Yes, I want to find out about yes. that, but wait, wait, wait. Let's, <laughs> okay, let's keep some suspense. <laughs> <laughs> let's have another piece of music. Ooh. Robbie Williams. Angels. What's that all about? Well, in 2006, we were here in Cape Town and Robbie Williams came to Cape Town and we were leaving to go to Jordan. And I said to the family, OK, I've bought you all tickets to go into the Golden Circle because I love big concerts for Robbie Williams. But sadly, we won't be there. We did go to a concert of Robbie Williams in London uh, a few years ago, which was fantastic. Anyway, so here we are in Jordan. We're just going through the Sikh, you know, because then the treasury appears. And my daughter calls me. She said, Mom, listen to this. And she's playing angels from Cape Town <laughs> on my phone. On I'm on a donkey. Yes, <laughs> Going through the Sikh and seeing the treasury in front of me and listening to Robbie Williams singing Angels. Now, 
What a moment. Good grief. What a lovely moment to remember. Oh. Let's share that with you a bit now with Robbie Williams and Angels. <laughs> Sit away There's an angel Contemplate my fate Do they know The places where we go When we're gray and old Cause I have been told that salvation lets their wings unfold So when I'm lying in my bed Thoughts running from my head And I feel that love is dead I'm loving angels instead And through it Forsake me I'm loving angels instead When I'm feeling weak And my pain walks down One way street I look above And I know
There you are, Robbie Williams, and that song called Angels. And the second choice of my guest here, Rosemary Saunders. And on People of Note, we're talking about her latest book called A Sprig of Rosemary, A Journey of Culinary Memories and Recipes. I want to know about this phone call that I mentioned in my introduction and you mentioned before the song we've just listened to. It says that um, you had an unexpected phone call and launched you into a catering career after giving cookery lessons in your home kitchen. Yes, gosh, you know, you never know what the next phone call is going to bring. (laughs) And I have a saying in my mind that I recall often, opportunity knocks very quietly. And so the phone rang, it was still a landline in those days, and I said, hello, Rosemary speaking, and this person said to me, you don't know me, but I know you. And you think, oh, and <laughs> and from Woolworths and so on, they used to supply Woolworths, and she said, would you like to do some boardroom lunches for me? And at our factory, and I said, gosh, that would be marvellous, you know, super. But come round to the house first and we'll discuss what we're thinking of. So I said, OK. So I went round on, on the appointed time. And then she said, OK, now all of these res- these menus that you're suggesting for our boardroom luncheons, we'll try them out. So for the next week, we'll have one every day for dinner. I said, that's fine. And... It grew from there. They were my clients for 25 years. Wow, good heavens. Parties and boardroom luncheons and weddings and, you know, it's the ripple effect. Yes, of course. It just ripples out. And, you know, in the catering business, most times you're building a restaurant for one night. You're only as good as your last meal. Mm -hmm. And you know yourselves, when you go to a restaurant... You can all have perhaps the same dish, but if there's six of you at the table, one person will say they love it, another, it's okay, and another may say, hmm, it's all right, no. Mm -hmm. But so we're all in individual tastes. But that phone call changed my life and just launched me into this catering business. And fortunately, I am a very good organiser, but I think women are good (laughs) organisers, good administrators, (laughs) and we do meet deadlines because we've got to be at school on time, you know, to collect the children. So it, it just catapulted me with friends and so on, and took me all over the world, really. Really? So there was an international side to it as well? Yes, I worked in Addis Ababa. There's a story about that in in my book, also in the south of France, because I took cookery tours, food and wine tours, which is an offshoot from the cookery lessons, because I'd go to France and people would say in the audience, oh, Rosemary, can't we come with you? So I said, well, okay. So I chatted to my friend, Jill Durrant, who was had a travel business, and I said, Jill, let's put this together. Brilliant. Okay, so I took people to France. And then from that, another arm extends because friends in the south of France come and join the cookery demonstration or come to a particular restaurant. And then another phone call. <laughs> now, Rosemary, my daughter's getting married. So, um, and this is the date. So, when can I see you? There's no, are you available? It's, when can I see you? I said, but okay, I'll come and see you. The one thing about catering 
outside catering is you're only as good as your team. My team were with me for 25 years. My goodness. They my knew exactly that that first plate has to look at the 25th or the 250th plate has to look the same on this runway of pre-plated first courses has to look the same mm-hmm. as the standard. I think I learned that from Woolworths, actually. So in the south of France, I was asked to do a wedding here and a wedding there. And so I did. And I flew my daughter over and to help me because, you know, as I mentioned in the book, she'd been to, wanted a gap year and went to Ballymaloo Cookery School in Southern Ireland. I sent her there because I thought it would give her a good foundation as well. Mm-hmm. So she'd come and help and, you know, you just get on with it. You get on with it. But let me tell you something. It's the same problems there as here with deliveries being late and, you know. One of the entertaining things about your book, Rosemary, is some of the disasters that have happened, talking about things being late and floods and things which I would like to talk about. But let's have another piece of music while we gird our lawns for that. Okay. The Soweto String Quartet. Yes. Well, talking of catering, the Soweto String Quartet played several times at private dinner parties and parties that I had here on the Atlantic seaboard and also at a particular wedding. And they were just magnificent. And when we're in France at our home in Cotignac, I often put on Zebra Crossing um, to just get my little bit of Africa back. <laughs> in the, the middle of France. Yeah. Yes. And I just stand still and listen to listen to this. And I think, oh, isn't this magnificent? So that's the Soweto String Quartet. They're just uh, in my heart. Well, this is from that famous CD of theirs called Zebra Crossing, Mbaye Mbaye.
There you are, the sound of the Soweto String Quartet from their album Zebra Crossing. That piece was called Mbai Mbai. And the third trace of my guest here on People of Note on Fine Music Radio this week, Rosemary Saunders. We're talking about her book, A Sprig of Rosemary, but we're also talking about your life. And as I confessed earlier, I am not a, a cook, unfortunately. I also, by the way, find recipes very difficult to read. People say, just follow the recipe and you'll be fine. It's not true. <laughs> However, you've peppered it <laughs> with some lovely, well, I shouldn't say lovely stories, but apart from anything else, apparently your entire business burnt down at one stage. That was catastrophic because we were in Slandadno one night, or Landadno, as some people call it, and my son phoned me at quarter to 12, and one of my staff had just handed me a glass of wine, and there I was sitting, just having a glass of wine, and my phone rang, and he said, Mom, there's been a fire, and your immediate thought is your home and the family. And I said, the family, the home, the children, everyone. He said, Mom, it's the business. And I remember just sitting there and saying, it, that's okay. And yet we had 46 functions that month and it was the 3rd of February. <laughs> and the next, when I went straight to my business premises, because, you know, one is now being hit with the reality of what are you going to see? And what I saw was a film set, the Kenwood Chef all the plastic had melted. Water, of course, from the fire brigade. So friends, my darling friend Catherine Fawkes met me there because her daughter and my son were driving past. And so they, as extended family, they called the fire brigade and so on. Walked through everything with my Wellingtons that they'd kindly brought. And I just said, well, we've got to think about tomorrow's function. <laughs> Hong Kong client coming into Hood Constantia with 40 of his friends. And that's what we've got to do. Get on with the job. So I changed the menu quickly, the dessert, which was a portberry jelly. And I called it on the menu a portberry melange. Oh, well, so, there you go. <laughs> so <laughs> he knew no different. <laughs> The only good thing was that my guy that looked after our computer had taken the hard drive that night to do some work on it. Good grief. And I had two kitchens at my home in Claremont. Yes. So we could, I met the staff at eight o'clock and we just all moved to my home and carried on the business because what can you do? It's not the client's problem. No, it's, of course not. It's but still... It needs some sort of fortitude to do that, which you clearly had. But was it literally burned down, everything destroyed? Couldn't use a thing. Couldn't mm -hmm. use a thing. So now, if I get a whiff of cigarette smoke or any smoke, you know, one's muscle memory <laughs> immediately freeze. And, and I think, no, relax, it's okay. Um, it's amazing what memory that does. Mm -hmm. When was that? Um, it was the 3rd of February 2001. Wow. At quarter to 12 at night. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Yes. Now, do you have premises now? Of course, I presume you've got a whole business premise somewhere else, not in no, your kitchen. No, that was my cutoff. I just thought, that's a sign. I rebuilt, and then I decided that it's time to hang up my apron, as Joel Roblechon said at Jamin in Paris at 50, he said, and I was 50 at the time, I thought, actually, this is a sign. Mm 
it's enough. So I just wound things up and over a period of 18 months and gradually withdrew because I just thought... This was just too much. A shame, Rosemary. Yeah. And you and that's you sort of retired. But now what do you yes. do now? What do I do now? I play bridge. I travel a lot. I write cookery books. books. <laughs> but you're not teaching or doing catering or anything anymore? Uh, no, I'm asked relentlessly, but I smile and say, I've hung up my apron. Oh dear, what no. about my birthday? No, <laughs> Don't you start. <laughs> One of the other stories that you, and there are lovely stories in here, was something about sprinklers. Oh no, what happened? <gasps> oh my goodness, that was in Constantia. Yes. When, <laughs> Regale um, us with that. Oh gosh. Well, when things go wrong, they go wrong. Yes. You know, it's like when you check into a hotel and they haven't got your booking, you know, and you kind of think, OK, let me just go out of the f- door and come back again and let's start again. <laughs> yeah. But you can't do that with catering because it's happening. Mm. So here we are. I'm called up to the front lawn where uh, 150 guests are arriving and the champagne is being poured into these crystal cut glasses that we'd had cut specially. But the engraving had been a little bit too deep. So we each glass was like a fountain. No, so, so you So the, the champagne, and it was French champagne, all proper, you know. Yes. So I said, put them in wine glasses, <laughs> scrub the glasses. And then we had headphones in those days as well like they do now you know microphones and mm. I got a buzz in my ear saying Rosemary please come to the main marquee and it was all done out in beautiful pots and um, garden theme and as I walked in there was the table in front of me on fire <laughs> one of these huge candles had split in half and the whole table had caught fire so we grabbed the tablecloths fortunately to the floor doused it, just collapsed everything, Mm. carried it off, relayed the table, and as we're doing that, the sprinklers come on. So all the tables were now being (laughs) sprayed with water. water. I like the way you're laughing now, but you couldn't have been laughing then. Well, you you, you kind of think, (laughs) okay, well, what's next? And you kind and so you know the sound. Yes, of the sprinklers, yes. And your ears. Those microphones that we had was only in one ear, and then the you know the the mic yes. well the earpiece and the. I say, what's that? Oh no! <laughs> and then the lights went off. No, that's <laughs> me. And the ovens, and the first course was twice baked cheese souffle. So I just thought to myself, well, everything's been having having to be done twice here. But my staff were amazing because they'd always, when we had these catastrophes, they'd back off. And they knew I was thinking, and as one of my suppliers used to say, she's in the menacing calm. (laughs) (laughs) And I would just stop still and think, okay, right, that, that and that. And then I'd say, right, this is what we're doing. And because you've, you've got to have a plan. Yes, and you've got to be calm. Calm, because then everyone else is calm and everyone else moves in the correct direction. Mm. And that is absolutely vital, that there's no panic. And as I always used to say, we're in the catering business, not the gossip business. So 
seal oh. the lips. <laughs> yes. You don't tell anyone this has happened. It's just the way it is. And on the debriefing, we would do that. But you just have to stay extremely calm. You know, it's not an emotional issue. It's staying calm. Oh, well, sure me. You know, well, you remember Rodard Kipling, if the mm, poem. Yes, if. Oh, gosh. Yes. We're going to have another piece of music Ooh. as we're racing towards the end of the Goody. program. Now. <laughs> Legends of the Fall. Oh. Um, that beautiful film. <gasps> oh, yes. Anthony Hopkins, Brad Pitt, wasn't. <gasps> I'm going to watch it again this weekend. Oh. So that's the reason the beauty of the film, the beauty of the music, and we're going to hear the theme music. Well, it's it's the Ludlows, actually, that I would like you to play because it's the piano and it, it's absolutely fabulous. And my children always used to put on music at dinner uh, at home. And this was very poignant. We always listened to this. And Nick and I were in Granada and all these chairs were laid out with this amazing backdrop of this cathedral. And we said, what's going on? Oh, no, the orchestra's going to play here. I said, what? Oh, we sat down. And what did they open with but the Ludlows? Oh, my goodness. And so, of course, <laughs> I put my video on and then WhatsApped it to the family. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Here we go.
James Horner's music for Legends of the Fall, the Ludlows there, and another of my guest choices. Rosemary Saunders is my guest, and we've been talking about her book, A Sprig of Rosemary, and about your life and all the things you've done. But you must have seen, Rosemary, over the years, quite a change in cooking, the way cooking is done, the way cooking is served, the way food is wrapped. You must have seen quite a change. Has there been a big change? If you start to reflect over the decades from, you know, when I was first trained in the 60s through to the 21st century, you look at, when I first came to this country, monkey gland steak. I said, what is monkey gland sauce? What monkeys are in this sauce? What glands? Yes, horrible, horrible. (laughs) And, you know, steakhouses and huge chunks and so on. And then, of course, we came into the 80s and Nouvelle Cuisine, as Paul Bacuse used to say, Nouvelle Cuisine is for anorexic snobs. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. (laughs) And then in the 90s and fast forward to today, I look at the food today and there's all these bits on the plate Several courses, what one would call a a menu d'agustation, several courses, seven courses or nine courses. But you have two mouthfuls and think, oh, well, that's rather nice. Wouldn't mind a little bit more of that. And of course, it's gone. Yes. (laughs) And there's nothing more. And you're on to the next thing, which I think sort of kind of brings indigestion into play Mm. because you get what's called palate confusion. I love the experimentation of the young with the combinations but I do think we've got to look very very carefully at what is flavour and a lot of restaurants are trying this well not trying they're doing smears of this and and you know bubbles of this and and so on which is dribbles of that yes you know which is which is super but it tends to be a bit of a I call um, a, a cocktail party on a catwalk <laughs> because you've got what these... What a lovely good <laughs> It sounds critical, but don't ever forget the basic principles of flavour, texture, aroma, and eye appeal. Think of your senses. Mm. And I think the cookery schools are doing splendid jobs, but... Try not to catapult too far away from absolute explosion of flavour and marriage of flavours. So, When you're at home now, uh, mm. what, what is a favourite dish of yours? If I uh, said to you, Rosemary, I'm an excellent cook, a really excellent cook, and I'm going to cook one of your, your recipes. What is your favourite? It's a difficult question, I suppose, because you probably love them all. Uh-huh. So hard. What but would you like for dinner you know, tonight? Immediately, what comes to mind, and it's so basic, is green asparagus. <laughs> really, with nothing wrong with that. I just love that it's slightly crispy, mm. and that is quite divine. And slow cooked, really slow cooked lamb. You ah. know that you just, but. If, I'm such a pleb because I have to have mint jelly. Yes, of course, yes. <laughs> or, but um, so I do. I I love what is happening in restaurants and 
and so on, but don't make it too intimidating, mm-hmm. because I think the plate can look quite intimidating. Yes. Um, and and food must be an experience, but daily food and good nutrition on your daily basis is the key to good health. There are some words of wisdom for my guest this week on People of Note, Rosemary Saunders. Rosemary, it's been a delight talking to you. It's been a delight paging through your book, even though I can't cook. And I loved what Michael Olafia said, our Michael Olafia said. No. She's proof that big things come in small parcels, and she is bright and chirpy like a bird and is desperately in love with anything food. But now, Rosemary, you've asked us to end with a shop and nocturne played by Murray Pariah. Oh. Is this something special? Oh, Murray Pariah. We actually went to Paris once to see Murray Pariah, but he was poorly, so we, he didn't perform. It's the first time I thought Nick was going to cry. I just, it was a surprise, and I didn't know it was my birthday. But then two years later, we went to Prague to the music festival, mm. and Murray Pariah was playing his touch. You can recognize him immediately. It's absolutely magical okay here's the nocturne number one in f major by chopin played by murray pariah and the final choice of my guest rosemary saunders thank you so much thank you
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Mm-hmm.